0: Back in my glory days, right, the car, the car was the Ferrari 308 GTS QV, right, it, it was the car and it was made famous by uh, Tom Selleck having it in, uh, in Magnum PI, right, so I'm taking you way back, right, and through Hawaii, it's just awesome, it was the car. It's super light, super fast. It was the first super sports car specific, right? It, it was, of course, red because everyone knows, right? They go faster. I mean, it was the car. But then some years ago, I was with some guys from church over in the States at uh, Huntington Pier in California. Now, it's a great party at Huntington Pier. There's guys playing volleyball. There's guys surfing under the pier. And it's a big show and tell where guys have got their souped up SUVs, guys with motorbikes coming through the Mohawks. And uh, it's just awesome. But the guys were driving come, the guys go, check that out. Right behind us was a Ferrari GTS QV. But you know what? You'd hardly even recognise it. The paint was so faded, you could barely even see that it was red. So thick was the dirt on it. It had been so neglected you didn't even hardly know it was a Ferrari, let alone that it had been a red one once. But actually it was a GTS QV. Super- it was a quadruple. Like How's that happen? How do you do that to the Ferrari? Apathy. You become indifferent. This guy had treated his... Ferrari, GTS, QV, the same way I treat my Ford Festiva, right? It's an old Ford Festiva. For me, it's a shopping trolley on wheels, right? But how do you kind of go, Ferrari, Ford Festiva, nah, same diff, right? Whatever. How do you get to that position? You become indifferent through apathy right now look it happens to the most precious things you can wreck them and it happens at first slowly it begins with a drift at first you know you just clean it once a week then it's once a month in fact then it's six months till you wash it and you don't even notice that the paint's fading you don't notice the scratches and you don't get it fixed and then you kind of don't see it at all it's a bit like living in a messy bedroom if you do it long enough you don't even know it's messy anymore right We've all experienced this stuff, right? We do it with things. We've got to have something. We do the research. We've got it, and we get it. You know what? Before you know it, it's just collecting dust on your shelf. Or worse, it's on the curbside in the junk collection. Right? Now, that's bad with stuff. You can wreck some really precious stuff, like a Ferrari. But it's even worse when it comes to relationships. I had a friend from school who was married for one year. Not even. And a friend and I were talking about it. I said, How do you do that? How do you look someone in the eye and say, I love you. And I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And then within a year, they're divorced. How's that happen? You can wreck some really, really precious things. And the cost, the debris is huge. It's the same with our relationship with God. It's a big theme in the book of Hebrews. You know you can drift and you can ruin something that's precious. Look at Hebrews chapter two, verse three. How shall we escape? How shall we escape if we ignore or become indifferent, or end up apathetical, with apathy towards such a great salvation? What is the cost? Well, ultimately, you'll lose your salvation. God will judge you. You'll be condemned by God. It's dangerous, right? And why is it so dangerous? Because it's hard to see that it's happening, right? Because it begins with a subtle drift, a subtle drift, right? Look at 2 verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we don't drift away. See, no one says, you know what, I'm going to trash my Ferrari. There it is, beautiful, and they get out the old sledgehammer and they just hack it. No one does that. Or I'm going to sm- slash my marriage. You don't do it like that. No, it's sl- subtle, small increments. It's slippage. It's like drifting when you're surfing, right? You're out the back, you're kind of paddling around, bobbing up in the waves, and you think you're in the same spot. It's not until you look at the land and you realise... Man, I've drifted way down here. You didn't know it because you can't see it. It's hard to spot. It's subtle, you see. And then it's too late. Like the song goes, "You don't know what you've got till it's gone." Pave paradise, and you put up a parking lot, right? And after you've lost it, it's too late. And you go, "How'd that happen?" I got a whopping big parking lot there, but, but, but we had paradise. Eh that's what happens all of a sudden it's subtle and then it's gone right now look I've been doing this gig for a while um, watching people's their souls their spiritual health and and it's and it's scary because people can be going along happily then all of a sudden you know what something happens maybe they change jobs or their friends but or or they're just not not a youth group as much you don't see it as much. And, and then, the next thing you know, you hear they don't call Jesus their Lord and Saviour anymore. It's scary stuff, and it happens, and I've seen it often. And you guys, when you're young, because you do everything quick, you could do this stuff especially quick. You can slide at the back really quick, right? That is a huge context of this litter. How do you make sure you don't drift away and end up in a position of apathy where you'll lose your salvation? That is what's happening to the Hebrews. They started well. They've got great joy as they came to Christ and rejoiced in that. But with suffering and persecution, they've been excommunicated from the Jewish community, loss of their possessions, which they didn't mind at first. But as the year, year, um, months turn into years, you can see they kind of are growing weary and lazy, and they can be attracted back into the Old Testament traditions that they knew, and the family support, and the Jewish synagogue support of community, and the festivals and traditions they knew. And the writer says, don't let it happen to you. Don't drift away. And what what he's writing about here is, how do you stop the drift? And what he says is, here's what you do. You pay more careful attention to what You have in Jesus to what you've got. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 again. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we don't drift away. The more careful attention, what he's saying is you've got to be attentive, focused, think over it. And what he goes on does, he contrasts what they've got to what they've had. So they see the difference. So can they see how wonderful what they've got. And so let's read... Verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see the difference? In the past, God spoke in lots of ways. The prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all sorts of ways, through donkeys, through visions, through the hand on the wall, right? Lots of messengers. And in fact, to the people of Israel, there was one definitive messenger, They had been in Egypt enslaved, but God had brought them out on eagles' wings and taken to the one high spot, Mount Sinai, where God, through Moses and angels, had had spoken to them. That was their high point. And so they were right to be suspicious suspicious about Jesus. See, how can a peasant carpenter from Galilee, nowheresville, absolute nowheresville, be a greater messenger than Moses and angels. How can that be? Well, only, of course, if one last time God has spoken by the Son. You see, so pay more attention to Jesus because he is actually a greater word. I'll read again. In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. You see the sense of climax? In the last days, by the sun. And over the next 13 chapters, he will blow our minds away about who this Son is and why we ought to listen to him. Who is this Jesus? And he's got three things for us. They're in the outlines. Verse 2, pay more attention to Jesus because he's the one who inherits everything. Absolutely everything. Verse 2, you see, he is the heir. Who, whom he appointed the heir. Now, the heir is the inheritor. He's the one who will own everything, right? And what you've got to understand is Jesus is not like the angels or Moses. They are servants, 1 verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits, right? They here to, to minister. Even in 1 verse 7, we see... Um, in speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angels wins. His servants, flames of fire, they are servants. That's what the angels are. Or Moses, um, he's the same. Chapter 3, verse 5. Moses was faithful as a servant. He's faithful as a servant. Now, um, they don't inherit. They might be rewarded, but they don't inherit because they're not part of the family. See 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful as a son. You see, there's a huge difference between Jesus and Moses. Jesus owns them. They're not equal. There's nothing in the universe that Jesus won't own. In Hebrews, as we see here, he's the heir of all things. At At the end of time, when Jesus returns, God will give all things to Jesus except for God himself. In Hebrews 1, we're told everything will be gathered up in him. In Colossians 1.15, all things are made by Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus owns the lot. Do you see how much more weight his words ought to carry? Here's the second point. Pay more attention to Jesus because he's the creator of everything. See, verse 2 him appointed the heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. He doesn't just inherit the creation at the end. He was there at the beginning, with God at the beginning. He's the one who said, let there be light with the Father. And there was light. Right? So look at chapter verse 10, 1 verse 10. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Jesus um, made all the creation, and one day he'll just, like in the same way that he just rolled it out, he'll roll it up again. Just like you guys do at the beach, right? You're there with your towel, and at the end, what do you do? You just roll it up. Grab it, take it home. That's how Jesus will treat the entire creation because he made it. And so when he determines, bang, he's going to roll it up. That's who he is. He made everything. Jesus is not like anything else no prophets, no Moses, no angels, right? Pay, here's the third point pay more attention to Jesus because he rules everything. Verse 3, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Right? He sits down at God's right hand, the place of rule. Not just does he own everything, makes everything, he rules and reigns over everything. So you see it there in verse um, 8 and 9. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions. Jesus is set above all his companions. He is the one who rules at God's right hand. Um, So if you're a Jew, you ask yourself, how can any man, any human, sit at God's right hand? how's that possible and they'd be absolutely right how can a man sit beside god's right hand but you see what verse 3 is saying the sun is the radiance of god's glory the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful words how can he sit there the right hand because he's god God made visible, God with flesh on. Jesus radiates God's glory. He's the perfect picture of God. You want to see God? Just look at Jesus. He illustrates God's beauty because he is God. And so he can perfectly speak for God. He sustains all things by his powerful word, which means sustain means to carry on along, right? From the tiniest atom to the entire cosmos. When the sun comes up in the morning, that's Jesus saying, let's do it again. Right? Let's do it again. So that God's will will be done. Um, so where else would Jesus sit but at the right hand of the Father? Did you see the ground the right of Hebrews is staking up for this Jesus? You can't be indifferent to him. He owns everything. He made everything. He rules everything. You can't get a more splendid picture of Jesus nor a more confronting one. Now, when I grew up, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents came to Christ in late teens. And so I came to Jesus. I, I followed him. But you know what happens? Over time, Jesus, I pray to him, but he becomes my friend, my brother, my mate. Kind of slowly kind of picture you kind of putting Jesus in my pocket. He's comfortable there. He's nice. All right? But when you see Jesus, the divine Son of God, who owns me, who creates me, who rules me, that's far more confronting. can't of have Jesus in your pocket as like a counsellor, as a mate. Right? Suddenly that's more threatening as you realise who we're dealing with. You see, it's possible to not know who you're dealing with. I had an experience some years ago. I'd been teaching uh, at a Christian conference and... Um, with a relatively small group, and on the way out the door, I said to one of the guys who I knew from Tamworth, I said, "Look, I'm, um, I'm heading up your way in the weekend." He said, "Look, okay. Well, look, nine o'clock. That was the next day. See you down in the hands of fame. Come there; it'll be, it'll be a great. Time, right?" So I thought, "Okay, that well, sounds all right We got in late that night, really late. Stayed in church hall, and I kind of woke up just before nine. I put on my boardies, kind of started to w- walk down the streets of Tamworth. Um pretty out of place because everyone else has got, of course, the jeans on, the boots, the bigger Kubras, and I'm aboarding my t t-shirt, thongs, getting right in. As I head into the park, there's like thousands of people. Or, and uh, there's this huge big crowd and there's these big cameras kind of over the top of this crowd, uh, TV cameras kind of looking in this crowd. And I'm trying to work out what's kind of going on. Eventually I... Kind of get through into the center and I can see what's going on. And right there in the center, everybody's looking down on one person, the camera crews, everything, and he's got his hand in the concrete at that very moment, putting his hand in the concrete. And he looks up and it's, it's Gary. He's got, and he looks straight at me and he says, Hi, rat. Of course, everyone looks straight at me and I'm like, Huh? <laughs> Turns out Gary. He's a legend. He's trained countless country music stars. Rock star, I don't know. Sometimes you just don't know who you're dealing with. You just got no idea, right? And uh, what the author of Seba is saying is you need to know who you're dealing with. Jesus owns, He is the owner, creator, ruler... And it's he is the unique voice, and we listen to listen to Jesus ahead of every other voice. But there's one last thing I want to get to get in your head. That's the most amazing thing in the entire world. Well, one of the great things of his, um, Christianity. See, Jesus sits at God's right hand because he is the perfect human who provided purification for sins. See verse 3. The Son of the radiance of God's glory and the exact reputation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. And then, you see, Jesus is our high priest. And the high priest is definitely human. And the author of Hebrews makes that absolutely clear. And you see in verse five, he quotes Two passages from then Psalm two and and two Samuel seven, both are talking about the human king, right? Verse five: For to which of the angels did God ever say, "You are my son"? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Both those passages are about the the uh, humans kings of Israel. What I want you to do is quickly flick with me back to two Samuel seven. And while you do that, this absolutely critical, get hold of this stuff. This will blow your mind if you can get it. I'll set the scene for you. King David has been at war for a long time, but now he's comfortable. And he's kicking back in a palace in Jerusalem. Right? He's got his feet up and he's thinking, what will I do? What, what can I do now? You know, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll build a house, a temple for God. And he tells Nathan the prophet... God sends a a message to Nathan. And so Nathan comes to David and he says this. Verse 11, that new paragraph there, half of this, says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are... 2 Samuel 7, verse 11... Verse 12, now, when your days are over and you you rest with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I'll establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Hear this, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Do you get that? God promises... To make a house for David. But actually it's a dynasty. And it's actually through people. A, a, an inherent, inherits a, a, a person. One person in particular. A son. But what a son. This son we're told will, have, will rule over all kingdoms. His kingdom will never end. All right? He's human. He will rule forever. And God will establish his throne forever. You see verse 14. What does God say? God promises to call this son of David, his son. He's human, but he's God's son. And he's going to get God's kingdom. And that's the point that Hebrews is making. Jesus is also, is the divine son, radiates his glory. But when he comes to earth, he becomes David's son. Fully human, all right? The author of Hebrews is making a massive point here. Jesus is supreme in every way, right? Human or divine, it doesn't matter how you cut it, right? As God's son, he's what we've just said—he's the heir. He'll inherit all things. He made everything. He owns everything. He creates everything. But as the human son, he's the promised David's, David's promised son. He's the forever king. And so, it doesn't matter which way you cut Jesus—he is unique supreme matchless Moses angels whatever they all are in the shadow compared to this Jesus He is incomparable he's a pinnacle of humanity and that's what he's basically saying in Hebrews chapter 2 look at verse 5 with me chapter 2 verse 5 it is not to angels that he subjected the world to come about which we are speaking right? The world to come. Who's going to rule in the world to come? What's the right? Not angels. He's not subjected to the world to come. But there is a place where someone has testified and he then quotes Psalm 8. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? Right? Why does God care for us? Why humans? Why, think? Why have such a special place in the creation? Why do we rule over the cockroaches? Why, why, why is man why why, why is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, you made him a little lower than the angels, and yet you crowned him with glory and honor, and put everything under his feet, in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him, but is that how we experience life? We rule everything, we do rule over the cockroaches, yes, but we know because of the fall. Everything we build collapses, ruins, corrodes and gets thrashed. It wears out and ultimately, no matter how successful you are, you end up fading into the... you go to the grave, right? You die and you can't take with us. We don't rule everything. But look at verse 6. Oh, sorry, just in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to him. Right? We're not subject, we don't rule all things, look at verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, right? Do you see what's being said? At first that's quite confusing, right? It's a little difficult. But what, what the Hebrews write is he, he slots Jesus into Psalm 8, right? And, and he says, you see, we don't rule everything, like it was supposed to be. We don't see everything under, under us because of the thorn, the thistles, the sweat. We end up dying. And we live, too, verse 15, in the fear of death all our lives. Some of us are dying quicker than others, your leaders, and probably me. But either way, we are all dying, all in the process of dying, right? But, verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little low than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because He suffered death. All right? Um, we don't see our glory because of our sin, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus the human being who was made lower than the angels, but verse 11 became part of our family. Verse 12 became our brother. It was verse seven. He was like us in every way. It was tempted, verse 18. But he was unlike us, verse 9, because he was crowned with glory and honour. Why? Because he died in our place. And he now rules over everything. He's now put on the throne. He tasted death for everyone. Jesus did the most amazing thing because he died. Um, He's the one who who radiates God's glory. Um, And he tasted death for everyone. His death was unique. He died for an entire race. Right? he's made atonement for our sins and he's made entire species right with God and because of that God has crowned him with glory and honour and crowned Jesus with glory uh, that now places him at the right side of the Father. Do you see the most amazing thing about Christianity? Did you realise that a human being is sitting on the throne in heaven and all of heaven... The cherubim, the seraphim, are all bowing down to a man. A man with a real heart, pumping real blood through real veins. Jesus is the supreme human, the pinnacle of humanity. Humanity as we were meant to be, perfect and ruling. Not just the radiance of God's glory, he's the radiance of our glory too. You see pays for our sins, and he brings us now into glory because he's, he's now our brother and we will share with his glory, right? Forever in that great um, banquet in heaven, right? Jesus is supreme in every way. The inheritor, the creator, ruler, but he's also God's human son, the supreme man. Is that the picture you have of Jesus? Is that when you pray to him, is that how you think of him? Or is he beginning to look like a Ferrari that you can hardly recognise? He's just blending in with everything else. See, I imagine there's a couple of groups of people here. Some of you are not yet Christian. This is all new to you, this stuff about Jesus. And I want to say, take these next few days to look into this stuff. Find out who this Jesus is. But some of you have drifted. Drifting is about being where you're supposed to be so that you make sure you land at the dock and you don't end up in the rocks. The question for us is, is, where have you begun to drift? What parts of your life is Jesus no longer speaking to? It may be in your actions, but more probably it's in your heart where no one else knows, but God knows and it's subtle and you've begun to drift. And the picture you have of Jesus is not that one of the glorious Son of God, Son, human Jesus, who sits on the right side of the Father. Take the next few days to make sure Jesus gets back in the right place. Listen to Jesus this fat. I pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is matchless. And we pray that we will pay careful attention to him so that we see him for who he is. And Father, we pray for all of us here that we would do take the time to wrestle with these things in the book of Hebrews so that we would see the Jesus who rules, who owns, who creates, but is also a man who sits at your right side. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh yeah. Um, All right. That was that was good. Thank you, Rhett.